Library of Congress contains the largest archive of original and contemporary Civil War media in the world. Some of these works possess stories yet untold. Library of Congress curator John R. Sellers shares his thoughts on a few of these hidden treasures when we return. How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpet cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.schedulonline.com. Where the heck are our seats? I don't know. Keep climbing. You called around before you bought this ticket, right? Well, there weren't a lot of ads for ticket places, so I... You do have the SBC Smart Yellow Pages, don't you? I don't know. I didn't really pay attention. You should have. They have more ads, more info we could have used. It's going to be hard to do the wave all by ourselves up here. Well, get up. Let's try it. For the most complete, reliable information around, look for the SBC Smart Yellow Pages or go to smartpages.com. World Talk Radio. Bringing the world to you. Interested in advertising on any of our shows? Please click the advertise link on the homepage or send an email to ads at worldtalkradio.com or you can click on the sponsor this show link on any of the show pages. Gaston Espinoza, and with me today is Dr. John Sellers. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Sellers. Okay. What are some of the stories from the Civil War that you'd like to see in print? Uh, I'm, part of my job is to help people find a topic if they need help. And I, I come across a lot of stories, having read thousands of Civil War diaries and letters, and so I steer them to these, and some of them I try to interest scholars in because I think they should be in print. For example, there's a story about a slave, elderly slave, gray-haired, who ran away from a plantation in 1863 in Winyaw Bay area of South Carolina. Naturally, he had to hide along the shore, and so he was living for almost a year uh, digging a dugout canoe because the Confederate militia had destroyed all the boats along the shore, the small craft. And the Kanema, which was a Union blockading ship in the headwaters of the bay, was there. And he, he saw it, and he was trying to get this craft ready so he could row out to the boat. 
And he survived and avoided the militia and the slave dogs for a, a whole year. And early one morning, he finally rode out to the Connemaw and Captain Shufelt, who knew the slave trade and the slave business back and forth because he had been stationed in Cuba. He had been uh, general uh, counsel in Cuba for the United States, and he had been stationed off the west coast of Africa and seen how it was conducted and seen how the British tried to thwart it there. And so he was. He took this slave on board, uh, congratulated him, him on being free, and sent him down to have breakfast with the crew. Well, some of the crew were the type men that were simply shanghaied out of New York Harbor. They did not want to associate at a table with a black man, and they had an altercation, and the slave was killed. Uh, he was beaten to death probably hit from behind with a fire axe. Unbelievable. And he was buried by Shufelt at sea the next morning with full honors. And Shufelt wrote in his own diary his account of the story, he's free at last. And I would like to see that expanded because Shufelt has a 15-page handwritten account of the slave trade itself, which goes along and it's it's really fascinating because he knew the merchants in New York. He knew how they picked up the taskmaster, the number of men, the, the crew, the amount each one could expect to make if the slaves survived on the return trip. So it's quite detailed. Another example, um, there's a story that has yet to surface about five brothers from southeastern Ohio. They were named Yoder. The names were uh, Noah, Moses, Joseph, Daniel, and Stephen, all kind of biblical names. Very good biblical names there. Yeah, but very irreligious and mudsill-type people. <laughs> Noah, the eldest, controlled the boys. Evidently, the father had died. And he was determining what each one would do with his life. Well, he was a fighter, rough-and-tumble fighter, said himself that he had at least one fight a day. And he finally killed somebody and shot him in the back from ambush. Mm. He, in order to avoid prosecution, joined the Union Army. Well, the brothers followed him in. Uh, Moses, who was more of the ladies' man. Joseph, who seemed to be uh, the most conscientious of the crowd. Daniel tried to get in, but he couldn't. He was a sickly uh, young man and wound up getting in the Navy. And then Stephen, who was too young, but he did make it into the guards at Rock Island. Now Noah, when he when he, he left home, exposed to a broader environment where a lot of people suddenly realized his own potential. And you have him very soon getting a dictionary, uh, having his brothers hawk a camp newspaper. He's shot in the foot at, at uh, Murfreesboro, loses his foot. As it amputate, he, when he uh, gets well, he has it uh, exhumed and, amp and cuts it apart himself and dissects it and decides that he's going to be a doctor, that his diagnosis was better. He goes to Transylvania College, becomes a doctor. Moses dies in the war. He's shot in the hip at Kennesaw Mountain. <clears throat> Joseph was rather successful. Daniel in the Navy was eaten by an alligator in the Mississippi River. <laughs> But Noah then focuses upon Joseph and Stephen. And to make a long story short, Stephen winds up being elected to Congress with Benjamin Harrison in 1888 and is buried in Arlington Cemetery. So you see this Mudsill family 
being influenced by the war and service in the Union Army and just kind of uh, just taking hold and making something of itself. It sounds like a wonderful screenplay. Is this a diary or? No, it's letters. It's a collection of letters and scraps. But uh, I think a lot of more could be found if someone went to the county in which uh, they were, where were from in southeast Ohio. There's another diary that I have just had put online. It's Horatio Nelson Taft. Taft was a patent uh, examiner in Washington at the start of the war. When Lincoln was at Willard's Hotel just before his inauguration, uh, Taft went by, went up with his wife Mary. Mary and Mary Lincoln became good friends. They had children the same age, and the boys wound up being playmates. Taft lived rather close to the White House. So it was a good exchange, and Lincoln was quite fascinated with Julia Taft, which was a teenage 16-year-old daughter of Taft, of Rachel Nelson Taft. So the families were close. And then when Willie dies, uh, Lincoln's Willie in 1862, February, Mary was, Lincoln was so upset <clears throat> that she wouldn't look at these boys anymore, and it was uh, such a traumatic experience for the family that Taft sent his whole family back to Long Island to live with uh, his wife's parents. And he stayed on in Washington, but he recorded all that took place, and it, you can make a, build a beautiful story of what's occurring in Washington because he went to all the events, comments on people. He's actually the one that approved the patent for the monitor, uh, the uh, Union monitor that defeated the Merrimack. Yes, that's right. And he's involved with all kinds of things. And his son, one of his sons, was the doctor, the second doctor to reach Lincoln when he was shot in Ford's Theater. And so about seven pages of the diary give a detailed account of the assassination, especially in the Peterson House where Lincoln actually died. And so you have a good picture of what everyone's doing and how everyone felt and reacted to the event, especially Mary. Are there other stories? These are fascinating stories, eyewitness accounts in many cases. Are there other stories about women or clergy or African Americans who in addition to the Schufeld story that you think are worth an examination by scholars or screenwriters? Yes, there are, and in various formats. You know, you can use uh, a variety of materials. There's one by a woman named Phillips uh, who was thought to be a spy in Washington and was run out and went to New Orleans where she was arrested again, but uh, quite a story. There are many stories on uh, blacks, uh, a lot of this material. We have a specialist that deals in black history, and I turn most of that material over to her. She handles it. But there, there are, yes, in, in many formats. Do you have papers that deal with the abolitionist movement and, and the role of, um, of the clergy during this time? We do, yes. Uh, I was trying to buy recently uh, a letter by Phineas Gurley, Lincoln's pastor, which was quite revealing. But yes, we, we have quite a bit of material on the Underground Railroad, the abolition movement, uh, people like Horace Greeley. Yes, there, there is that kind of material, yes. Let's say that I wanted to use the Civil War collection of the Library of Congress to write a book or to create a documentary on the five Yoder brothers or the Shufeld slave story. How would I go about tracking down my sources at the Library of Congress? Could you take me through a step-by-step -step process? 
Well, you would start <coughs> with a computer and try to identify. The computers now will identify materials in various formats, from serial to photograph to manuscript to music uh, and so forth. You, you won't hit everything, but it'll give you a good start. And it, this is where <laughs> talent really shows in the ability to ferret out material. What you're looking at at the library should open your eyes to what is available in other places. Mm. And uh, any wise scholar will, your core material will come from the library. But you would, for example, with the Yoder family, you'd go to southeastern Ohio and try to find some descendants, try to look in the county historical society or public library, and just keep working. Mm. And do you have sound recordings and let's we say do. I was going to create a documentary, right. sound recordings, photographs, and maybe even artifacts like um, uh, handkerchiefs, clothing, things from the period. Yes. For example, if uh, a doctor wanting to study the possibility that Lincoln might have had Marfan's disease, he would go to what we call our rare book room, which is in special collections, where there is a, a plaster cast of Lincoln's hands where he could study the fingers and the structure. There are things, there's even a, a life mask, you know, not a death mask, but a life mask where you could study the face. So there are uh, materials in various formats, that's correct. Have the photographs been digitized? A lot of them have, not everything, and they're getting more and more, but the Brady collection has been digitized. Is there a uh, fee involved if I wanted to, let's say, use uh, 20 or 30 photographs for a documentary or for a book, is there a fee that I have to pay? Is it a one-time fee, or do I pay by by picture? Anything you get online is in public domain and is free. Oh, wow, All that's of remarkable. collections are part of the public domain, and there is no charge for that. There is no charge. Most scholars now are bringing their own digital camera in, which doesn't cost them a thing, and they're actually taking pictures of the documents or the images that they want. That's remarkable. And... These documents and the people that are doing most of the research are coming from primarily from the South, you said. Is that right? No, from all over. All over. They, I, I would say most of them come from the North. But the, the South, the only thing about the South is there are fewer Southern materials simply because they didn't survive the war, not as many of them. Do you find that there's more of an interest by Northerners or Southerners in terms of the historical struggle of the Civil War. Southerners by far. The emotions are still acute. They're, uh, they're very emotionally involved in it, yes. Emotionally involved, but the war was, the war's been over for 140 plus years. Why, why is well, that? Well, they lost. They lost. And it's hard to forget. And they're still fighting it over and over. If you go to the reenactments, like at Cedar Creek, Virginia, you'll see thousands of people. Horses, cannons, the whole shebang. Mm. And th this is this is common. And I, do you I, I see this I, as um, a development that's increasing, or is it something that's always been there? It's growing. It's always been there, but it's growing. Authenticity of it, you know, like people work on old cars. This is their interest, and they they create the uniforms, the emblems, the guns, etc. And they they do the whole thing. Are the battles that are being that are being reenacted? Are they battles where the Confederacy wins, or it's a tie, or how does that work? <laughs> Usually the Confederacy loses. They're fighting the, the bigger battles toward the latter part of the war where the Confederacy is constantly losing. 
And they get, like at Gettysburg, uh, there's, you know, always pickets charged. Pickets charged. So they, they reenact that every year. Yes. And uh, what do you think that tells us about Southern culture? I mean, you know, in addition to this psychological sense that it's part of their heritage and part of the experience of their ancestors, what else does it reveal to us? Well, it, it reveals a kind of a, uh, a, I think, a misdirected um, mental legacy. Uh, I would hate to think what the nation would be like had the South succeeded. But at the time, they felt they were fighting for their rights, for their right to withdraw from the Union, uh, that they were actually abiding by the Constitution. And they felt like when they, they were invaded and attacked, rather than they just wanted to be let go, let alone. And it gave them kind of a cause celeb. And today I, I encounter people that feel very deeply about this. Do you find this is more prevalent in, let's say, the Deep South or Texas or the Carolinas? Where Where is this cause celeb most popular? Virginia on down. I'm sorry? <laughs> from, from Virginia, like, well, I can give you an example uh, in Richmond where... There was a statue erected just uh, about a six, maybe eight months ago to Lincoln, Lincoln and Tad, his uh, uh, surviving son at that time. And the, the, the Confederate sympathizers had a plane flying overhead, drowning out the speakers, pulling a banner that said, Six Semper Tyrannus. Many people wore shirts with uh, insulting images, uh, just pro-Southern, some of them with Confederate flags draped across. So it was, um, oh, it was, it was kind of an ugly scene in a way. And I got letters and emails from people complaining that the South had been reinvaded. So it was, uh, it was almost a disaster in a way. The South had been reinvaded because a statue was put up in honor of Lincoln. Right. Unbelievable. Well, let's talk more about that. I'm curious about how the Yoder brothers and, and other uh, stories, the Schufeld story, would would play themselves out regionally in New York, Los Angeles, maybe even the South. Right. Let's pick that up after our break. <laughs> <laughs> 